Hey everybody, you're listening to Ivan Cast podcast. Hello, George. Good morning. Good morning. Nice to meet you. Yeah, it's my pleasure. I'm I'm honored to have you on the podcast. Uh, this is also quite crazy. I am in South America, in Ecuador, and you, George, you are from New Orleans, right? That's correct. I'm sitting in my living room in New Orleans. Yeah. Uh, it's hard to believe what is happening right now around the world, isn't it? It's like so crazy. Are you also isolating at home? Well, um, <clears throat> somewhat, yeah. Uh, you know, I've taken four hours, you know, um, late in the evening to have dinner with my lady friend, yeah. and then coming right back home. But, you know, but for the most part, yeah, I've been pretty much isolated for the last, um, well, probably what, it's almost about 17 days now. Yeah, yeah. Um, my grand, my granddaughter and her husband lives next door to me, and we have the big side yard. So I get to see the kids every day, but you know, we, we still stay. You know, we do the social distancing thing. Yeah, yeah. That's that's great to know. You're most of my time with me and my me, me and my me, me and my dog. You know. Yeah, yeah. That's great. So you have your family around. Um, do do you have some sort of fear or sadness about this whole situation? Do you feel prepared? Do you think things are going to be all right after this, or are we going to change uh, as humans? Uh, have you have you uh, thought about it maybe in the in the last couple of days? Um, well, I, I I'm very I'm very positive that um, humane um, mankind will figure out how to how to survive this. Um, You know, I mean, I haven't, I don't, you know, I'm not particularly, you know, hopeful that um, the government will be the, the people that are find the issue, but yeah. maybe they will figure it out. You know, all we got to do is just kind of do what we're supposed to do, stay away from each other, and, yeah. and maybe it won't spread to this neighborhood. Exactly, that's exactly what I think we... We should uh, stay inside. I think that's the best uh, thing to do right now. So... George Potter Jr., thank you uh, so much for being part of the podcast. Thank you for accepting my invitation. Uh, you've been doing music for what now? Over 50 years, maybe? Uh, well, well, I started I started playing and getting paid at, at the age of, uh, of 10. I started playing at eight. And I When you were eight? paid, you know. But it was very little money. But I, I still, I got, I, I considered getting paid at 10, um, uh, um, turning professional. <laughs> yeah. Um, I've been, I've been, I am 72 years old. I'll be 73 this year. So, um, no. So that's, I've been doing it for well over over 60 years. Over 60 years of making music. That is just so amazing. So let's jump right into the podcast, into the conversation. I I have so much I wanted to talk to you about. So are you good to hang out for a little over half an hour, maybe? Sure. Awesome. So, um, George, um, what is funk? What is funk music? So, like, every time when I hear your music, uh, I hear the funk coming out. I'm talking about the meters right now. So... Uh, you know these long notes, the fat holes. It's like I hear I hear always one very major groove, and different groups around it. Uh, drum rhythms. Uh, what is sort of your definition? How would you define your own sound? Talking about the meters now. Oh uh, well, you know I, I mean I believe that it had it had a lot to do probably. Uh, um, More, more to do with drums. You know, the, the pocket that the drums created. Mm -hmm. um, that you know that that you know that I, as a bass player, just always I came from the era when when it was important that the bass player and the drummer acted as one. Yeah, yeah. So um, you know, I you know um, I mean, I didn't always think like that. But I, I didn't start thinking like that until um, until I with Alan Toussaint mm -hmm. that um, that he um, he instilled in me that um, you know it's not what you play it's what you don't, yeah. don't play that um, you know makes the group makes the group happen. So um, you know after learning that particular part, I think it, uh, it made the meters uh, absolutely a more um, a fluent um, band. Or a, a group of players because we we started leaving. I, st I started leaving space 
And what I did, so there were holes, there were holes in the in the in the pocket, you know, yeah. for yeah. keyboards and guitar rhythm parts to you know to, to, to function well. Yeah. So, you know, it was pretty. It was pretty much that 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 schooling that um that made everything work. Funk, the rhythm of the one. And I'm not sure right now, but I think Bootsy Collins also once said that fun music is like, in general, everything that happens when you are actually not playing a note, like the silence between the notes. And uh, I, I, when I discovered your music and, you know, Parliament Funkadelic, Sly and the Family Stones, because uh, I, I play bass guitar too. And all those bands listening exactly to those spaces between notes, it made me realize what is actually to be, I don't know, a musician, what is actually to play really funky, uh, deep groups. Uh, I, well, I'm not sure if there's a secret. I believe that it's just, that, um, you know, I mean, outside of the fact of always knowing where one is, you know, that's, you know, um, and I, mean, I think the difference in what, that happened with with meters versus um, Parliament and um, and 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 and, um, and Bootsy and those guys was yeah. um, that we, we we used to tend to play on and the one rather than on one. Ah, okay. We you know you know the one we would we would leave that spaced one with maybe maybe space you know and, and, and we would yeah. play the note going through that one. Yeah. You know, there was, there, was, there was a lot of meter stones where, you know, when people try to interpret it, they always interpreted it wrong because they thought that first note they heard was one. Oh, really? And that first note they heard was actually and one. Uh -huh. Wow, cool. That's good to know. Um, me and uh, I had a band in Germany. I lived there for 12 years and uh, we were definitely inspired by your music. I remember the drummer and I, we would spend hours and hours rehearsing, you know, trying to emulate your sound kind of thing. And uh, we even recorded a song, we call it the Meters Jam. And uh, we were just wanted to pay homage to your unique sound. So if you want, uh, George, I can send you after the podcast, the song that we recorded, uh, I think it was 10 years ago or something. Sure, I'd love to hear it. Yeah, that's great. Um, so... And then also, I, would like, I want to uh, also express that um, that there was, you know, there was there were songs that were in our in our catalog yeah. that, you know, that, you know, like I said, starting on M one, but it was like sometimes it would be one and, and our first okay. note would be on the and rather than on one. Oh, okay. No, we we abandoned we we abandoned one a lot of times in the, in a lot of the, the really deep pocket stuff that was, you know, that we did, you know, um, versus the, um, you know the stuff when when the guys started writing wanting to write more commercial type songs, you know, to get music. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you mentioned you started making music uh, at the age of eight. Uh, why did you decide to pick up a bass guitar? How did all this start with, with the bass guitar? Uh, well, I think my idea of playing um, playing bass guitar, um, you know, I was at the age of eight, my mom, my mom gave me an acoustic guitar. Uh -huh. Uh, it was uh, um, one with the um, the gut-haired strings, or, um, and um, and my teacher, I had to now I had to take lessons. Yeah. Uh, um, that was all a part. That was a part of the deal. I get the guitar. I took lessons. I be I, you know, so I had to take lessons. Yeah. And um, the teacher that I was going to, because of the type of instrument I had, if it would have been a guitar with metal strings. He probably would have started me on different music, but but because it was a, 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 a that type of guitar, mm -hmm. you know, he started me playing, you know, playing um, classical formula, yeah. you know, all 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 ten fingers. Mm -hmm. Well, well, these um yeah, mostly ten fingers, but more 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 nine fingers. Then the the, the left hand thumb didn't get to do as much work as it you know that it that it could have done mm -hmm. and that it, you know, it got to do later. But, um, but those first two years, um, taking those lessons, I was learning, you know, I was learning how to play, you know, country Western songs because the, the formula, because of the formula, he thought those songs were easier to, to comprehend and mm -hmm. to play. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I, I, you know, I mean, I've learned, I've learned to play that formula pretty well. Mm -hmm. 
Um, so, um, but it wasn't until that second year that um, I was on my way to a, um, to a, a lesson on Saturday morning, and, and instead of going the, the route that I usually take to go to the catch the bus, mm-hmm. I took a different route and uh, and and I was walking to the um, to Tulane and Galvis, and I turned on to um, when I got close to the Gal um, to Gravity Street, I heard I heard me um, guitars playing. So um so I kind of followed the sound and um and saw um this guy sitting on the steps playing um playing guitars and the old man his grandfather was playing this with this classical formula you know um using the thumbs and all five all, all four fingers yeah. on the right hand mm-hmm. and um the songs he was playing was you know was St. Louis blues and you know some of the um, old old um, old blues um, songs. Yeah. And 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 I thought that you know I said man why why is my teacher teaching me how to play that stuff that's the music I would like to be playing rather than you know Red River Valley and you know yeah. home, home on the range stuff. You know? Yeah, yeah. And um, so so for my the, the second recital that I did instead of instead of playing Red River Valley. That was up. That was on the list of the, the of, of the on the program that I was supposed to play. Mm-hmm. I played St. Louis Blues, and, um, <laughs> and needless to say, my my stop, Vicky, my my um my teacher was not very happy with me not playing the um what I was supposed to play. Oh, really? So um so I, I I'm somewhat kind of got dropped out of his class. <laughs> <laughs> And from that, from that, from that point on, I, I, you know, I started um, listening to Papa and his grandfather, and I introduced myself to him, you know, and 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 Papi sort of at that point became my, um, became my, um, my teacher. Yeah. His name, his real name was Benjamin Francis, but we, you know, they all called him Papi. Mm-hmm. And he too was he he too was a bass player that you know that that played guitar. Mm-hmm. And basically, I was a guitar player that that you know that eventually started playing bass, and that's only because you know when when the, when the Vietnam thing happened, mm-hmm. you know um, they were drafting people out of New Orleans, but you know a lot of the young bass players and the electric bass players were getting drafted. Oh, and um, so um, you know I kind of escaped that um, that draft thing just because I was. I couldn't touch my toes, and uh, and um, I was di- diagnosed as I had a crooked spine. Mm-hmm. But okay. um, none of my mom doctors ever ever told my mom I had a crooked spine. It just that I couldn't touch my toes. I was just probably out of out of shape. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. uh, so you know, the military just took me, gave me a full F status, and you know, and, and that that's the only way I get to go to go to war is if there oh. was a war. So you know, okay, you know, yeah, that was the way that went. That went down. Uh huh. That's that. So, I mean, bass playing bass guitar. Bass guitar was a natural move because I had already been playing bass guitar for, and you know, playing bass and guitar at the same time uh-huh. for you know pretty close to three and a half years. Yeah. Four years. Yeah. Wow, that's such an amazing story, and uh, yeah, New Orleans, of course, is well known for its blues music. But uh, let's get back a little bit to the 60s and 70s. Can you, because I've seen pictures and documentaries, movies from that era, but from, from, to hear from you, like, can you tell the audience worldwide, like, what was, the New Orleans, what was New Orleans like at that time? Like, how was music produced, recorded? What was the music industry at that time? Well, when we first started recording in the, in the, in the you know the, the mid '60s. Um, mm-hmm. You know we were um, actually doing it. You know with just a, a, a couple of microphones in the room, the band all set up in the same room, and uh, we we recorded. Uh, um, I think our very first. Um, I think since, um, the very first four songs that we put out, um, Sissy Strut, Sissy and, Strut, um, Sophisticated Sissy. I think it was Look a Pie Pie. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, not look a pie pie. It was um, see on form and um, here come the meter man. I believe that was the first four songs yeah. that we recorded, and um, you know those songs were recorded straight from uh, um, straight through the little shore mixers, 
at Cosmo Studios. We was sure mixing straight to um to the um uh, what you call it, like a disc, a hard disc, you know. Um, yeah. A metal, a metal plate bag. It was cut into a metal plate. And then when we went back to go do the album, actually album, we actually recorded it to to, um, to tape. Okay. Time for music now. You are going to listen to Bridges from the 2011 Can Beat the Funk album. Uh, this song was originally recorded by the Meters. So enjoy the music, have fun, and stick around. <laughs>
cool. So we were we were talking about the the way you recorded your first track, CC Strut, and so on. Uh, the New Orleans uh, music scene in the late '60s. Uh, how you uh, produced, recorded your songs. How was the music industry yeah. at that well, time? Well, the, the music, the, the scene in New Orleans at that time, you know, early part of that time yeah. was, um, you know, most of the recordings at, at Cosmo Studio was being done, you know, straight from, you know, through, through little short microphone mixers, uh-huh. these little, little square boxes. Yeah. And um, and it went it went straight to a disc. It was, was carded straight to a metal disc. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, that was those first, that our first sessions, the first four songs that we recorded was done that way. Then when we went back to real, we complete that album, mm-hmm. to record that album, I then, uh, um, which probably was maybe four or five months later, um, we recorded actually to um, to tape, which was, um, you know, at that time again, we were recording to, you know, uh, um, to tape, and he was using two of those mixers. Yeah. And one, 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 one side was going to um, to to one side of the of the of the disc, and the other one was going to the other side of the of the disc, and um, to to other side of the tape. So it was, and this was before. I mean, I guess it was like it would have been pre-stereo. Basically, that's the reason why a lot of those early meter songs mm-hmm. that was done on that on that album, you know, the um. Bass and drums was on one side, and guitar and keyboards was on the other side mm-hmm. of, the, of, the, of, the, of that stereo system. Okay, interesting. Cool. So that was the way you recorded. That was your first album, which is also called The Meters, right? Which is one of the... Considered the first to, album was called The Meters, yes. Yeah, yeah, it's considered to be one of the funk classics of all time. I've heard that album so many times. I have the vinyl here. Oh, you have a vinyl copy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I found I, it I, one in Germany. I have a vinyl copy, but uh, I got a, um, a reissued vinyl copy from um, a record label um, named um, Sunday's Music that took and um, bought all those old masters and re-released them, yeah. you know, after after Katrina. After, after Katrina. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, I love, I love that album. So, 70s now let's talk about the year 1975 george uh, i read this on wikipedia paul mccartney invited the meters to play at the release party for his venus and mars album um in long beach california and mick jagger was there from the rolling stones he was there and he was amazed with your sound so he actually invited you to tour with them across america and europe is this true is this a true story well um I don't remember meeting Jagger at that tour on that on that particular boat ride. Yeah. Um, and that's that's that could be one of many stories um, about how we got invited to that to that Rolling Stones tour. But you toured with um, them, right, in the seventies? Um, the one that I know about, and um, and I think that's probably closer to um closer to confirmation was <laughs> that um um that um. And, um, and 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 Ron Rudd had pretty much introduced, um, not really introduced, but, uh, but we have we let's put it that let me go see if I can go back a little further. Yeah, um, yeah. The the meters went 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 to London. All right. With a, a, a New Orleans with a New Orleans contingency, um, uh, probably um, in the early seventies. I'm not sure exactly. I don't remember exactly when it was, but yeah. we did. Uh, we played that thing with Prince Albert Hall. Mm-hmm. And um and and it, it was the meters, uh, Doctor John, Professor Longhair, mm-hmm. Snooks Eaglin was supposed to go, but um but but I changed it, but 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 backed out at the airport the morning that we were flying out, and um and who else was I? Well, I want to say Alan Toussaint, I believe, was also on that on that on that thing. I don't know if Alan was performing or he was just there, mm-hmm. uh, but um. Um, but we uh, we went over and did that gig at Prince Albert Hall, and um, and and moved there, and um, so that's when we you know. And in fact, the, the, the after the after our performance, the promoter had set it up where we got to meet all of the all of the British you know 
British bands, you know, yeah. including the, the Rolling Stones, Paul McCartney, a, a band called Faces. Uh-huh. Um, um, and there was another, uh, it was like about, there was like about maybe eight bands. I, I don't remember all the names yeah, of all yeah. the bands. Yeah. Um, but, you know, uh, re- I remember meeting McCartney and, uh, and Linda. Uh-huh. Uh, um, I don't remember meeting any of the other players, but I remember meeting Linda and John, uh, and and, uh, and Paul. Yeah. Um, I remember meeting uh, um, Rod Stewart and and Rob Woods because at that time they were playing together. Yeah, absolutely. This was pre before Rob Woods had went to play with the Stones. Yeah, yeah. And then we met um, we we met uh, uh, um, Keith Richards. Uh huh. Uh, um, the drummer Charlie Watts and uh, and, uh, and 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 Mick Jagger was also there. Yeah. Um, we met those. I didn't. We I didn't meet the. We didn't meet the bass player that night. Yeah. I don't believe he came to the show. Yeah. Okay. So that's 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 our, our original. That's the way that uh-huh. we original meeters originally met some of those those British those British players. Yeah. Wow. That must um, be. And, and seventy and seventy and seventy five when the Stones um, was putting together their seventy five tour uh-huh. uh, in the U S. Um, you know, by now Ron Woods was the, was the guitar player in the band, and uh, and he and Keith had been fans of the Meters, uh-huh. and they thought that we should they should we they should use the um, the Meters as uh, um, for their Southwest you know dates that they had on that tour. Yeah. So, um, so that's what happened. Uh, um, they 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 came to the conclusion. I don't know what the conversation was like, but they came to the conclusion, and, and the meters were invited to play thirteen of the dates that they did in the U.S. Wow, thirteen consists of uh, actually of the at the beginning of the tour, actually because um, I believe the first date was in New Orleans. Yeah. Uh, um, so um so we played we played 13 of those states and then they moved on to uh, uh i think tina turner did part of that tour and i believe uh, maybe stevie wonder did a part of that tour mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, um but um you know I, I i from where i was sitting at i thought it was actually ron woods who you know who pretty much said man we're we gonna start this tour in new Orleans. we are gonna start the tour with this band called Amidas, yeah. you know yeah, yeah. and um and um, and actually, we had already recorded a version of uh, Honky Tonk Woman. Mm-hmm. So, um, no, 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 we did Honky Tonk Woman after that '75 tour, right? Right. It was after that '75 tour. Okay. That we did Honky Tonk Woman, and um, so then you know after after you know we did really well on that '75 tour, and um, so um, when they when they announced the '76 European tour. Mm-hmm. You know, we got invited to come and do the entire '75 to '76 tour in mm-hmm. Europe, mm-hmm. and we we were over there in Europe with them. We played every show with them. Um, uh, I think I think it was total a total of um, seventy some more shows in ninety ninety. I think ninety six total, ninety six days or something like that. Oh, that's a lot. Yeah, we we did the whole day that, and we played. We were the band that played before the Stones every night. Yeah, yeah. Some of the dates, some of the dates, they were they had three and three bands on. You know, two other bands other than us. Of course. Some of the some of the really bigger the the bigger venues. Yeah. And uh, um, and then but, but but we would always be the band that went on just before the Stones, and it was it was pretty cool. Yeah, that must have been such a crazy, surreal experience. I believe it's like, uh, uh, I don't know, it's is it really like really wild and stuff? Like all the after geek parties and things like that. Uh, can you tell me maybe or tell us one uh, memory from that era? Because it must have been such such a crazy experience, right? Well, you know, there's, there's you know, there's, there's the, there's the, there's the the stories that can be told from the from the Rolling Stones tour yeah. that you know that would could be considered non-favorable. <laughs> oh, all right. Uh, um, you know, uh, but you know. Well, this is a podcast here. You can actually say whatever you want here. From a music, from a musical point of view, yeah. Um, I, I would probably think that um, musically, the Meters got to play in front of for the most part nine 
meter audiences. Yeah, yeah. Uh, um, so, so we played in front of people that didn't want to even hear what we were doing. <laughs> they were just and, waiting uh, for the and, 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 and Paris, and when we played France, I, mean, I want to say it was Paris. Yeah. Uh, you know, we we really caught hell, and the and the and the, and the stones, like you know, not the stones, but. Uh, Jagger and uh, and and Keith Richards, yeah. you know, um, came out on because the audience was getting really loud and booing the hell out of us. <laughs> really? and those guys came out on stage, and they guys came out on stage with us, and you know, and um, and and so you know, Jagger spoke to them, and you know, kind of told them if y'all would shut the shit up, you know, <laughs> and listen at this music, y'all would enjoy it, you know. <laughs> oh God! We played three nights. We played three nights there. And, and after after those guys came out on stage with us and stayed out on stage with us, but uh, we I think we were playing. We played the song "Fire on the Bayou," and they came out and stayed and stayed out and sang with us on that song. And then they left the stage, and the rest of the rest of our you know, forty minute set yeah. went killing. And we got a, we got a wonderful applause at the end of the set. And the next two nights really well, you know. That was that was you know that was like the turning point for. Um, for the band on the on that tour, all the other all the other days after that went really well. I mean, people were yeah. accepting, you know, uh, uh, and listening, you know, because I mean, for the most part, I don't know how many bands ever played in front of Stones that didn't that didn't get you know an adverse um, um, reception, you know, you know. It, it, but after the, after Jagger and, 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 and Richards came out on stage with us and and, you know, and, and hung out with us for grew up to the whole song, you know, they um. French audiences and, and, and all the audiences that we played after that. We always did well in England. I mean, in England, we, did, we were always accepted in Germany because that European tour actually, and we did really well in Germany. What was the coolest part of being in Europe, touring there? Some of the, the Viking countries. Uh, um, you know, we. You know, I got. That's why. That's when I got a chance to visit cities and you know mm-hmm. and see stuff because we were there more than one day wasn't a flyer to fly out um you know there's you know there's a lot of a lot of the uh, of the the history of uh, of those countries you know, was, was always nice to um, you know to write about you know the yeah lifestyles and the history of the cities you know absolutely um, i was supposed to um I was supposed to um, visit South America um, with David Byrne, but that part of that tour canceled, uh-huh. and um, that part of the tour canceled. So I never got to go to um, um, South to America. Parts of South America um, that um, you know that hopefully I will get down there sometime. Yeah, that will be awesome. Yeah, you ha- you, it will be awesome to have you around here. Um, thank you for sharing those really cool stories from that time touring with the Rolling Stones in Europe. Now, the meters are recognized as one of the uh, godfathers of Fong, the progenitors of Fong. Uh, lots of bands have made covers of your songs. Um, thinking about the Red Hot Chili Peppers right now, for example, they did uh, Jungle Man. Have you ever met those artists or hip-hop artists that had made samples from your music? Like, how is the process to do so? Do they call you and ask, can we do a cover of your song or... Most of, most of that stuff is uh, is like hijacked, yeah. You know, and you know, <laughs> no one asks us. Nobody asks about uh, about it. And, really? And and it's, it's put out in secret, and 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 and, and because it's, most of that music is sold through through the um, you know what's it called out of the out of the trunk of the car. Yeah. You know, we, we never we never know about it. You know. Uh, um, but you know there were there were some there were some big hits out there that um that you know that the record the record um the record label uh, uh and and or the um, the publisher of our music was yeah. you know would find out about and go after, go after those artists yeah but because of because of the way the big the way that the hip hop community set up their um set their recordings up yeah you know it. it It never, it, it showed, it never showed that they made any money. It always showed that they were, they, you know, that the record they were, the record didn't make any money. So you know, the band never got paid for any of that stuff, you know. So you know, that that was that was a that was a, a part of the of the music industry that I never, I had a bit a bit of taste in my mouth about. But uh, but you know, that's again, that's 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 the business, yeah. you know. Yeah, it's part of it. But I mean, it... that's, that's not a necess- that's not a that's not a, that's not a great story 
to be said for the music business as 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 it is because the the business of new of music if the if the artist isn't protected it has has not been has not protected himself just out the out straight up out of the box yeah uh, you know it's, you know it's, it's gonna happen in other words you know and yeah. very the artists of, of my day and and before my, my day you know we weren't we weren't told about you know about protecting your your publishing rights and yeah. protecting um it's that kind of stuff um I mean, we were lucky. We were lucky in one sense of saying that um, that we actually, uh, we actually, all our songs got you know got got copyright in our names. Yeah. But you know, all of our songs were published by by our management. So we, the band, never owned any of our publishers. Twenty years, twenty five years later, that that we actually got our publishing. Placed in the name uh, with a record, um, actually was asked. I mean, close to thirty years later, that's just uh, um, the longest, longest management had our publishing. They were, they were, they were, you know, they kept on telling us that our money, our, our music didn't make any money. You know, that we we owed record labels, owed, owed tons and tons, tons and tons of money. And never, we never was told how much money we was owed. Yeah. That you know, that we owed them, but we was just told that man, y'all just owe these people lots and lots of money. Y'all got no royalties coming, you know. Yeah. And you know, by the time by the time that the, um that stuff got out of those people's man, the very first year, I mean, within the first year after that stuff was hands, I mean, we started getting royalty checks that we had never seen before. It was like, wow. <laughs> I mean, this this kind of money comes in because it's like. We were being told that we owed Joe Josie Records, you know, we owed Warner Brothers Records a, a tremendous amount of money that we would never be recouping. Yeah. And you know, and um the the I, I don't think we've seen anything from Josie's because Josie went under as a record label. But um, Warner Brothers Warner Brothers started paying us almost immediately. It was like cool. unbelievable. Yeah, unbelievable. Yeah, so the meters. I think you have a total of eight albums. Which one is your? Um, I don't know if the favorite is the right word. Which one do you consider to be the the highest expression of your art? Like, which is the one you are most proud of? I thought Rejuvenation was probably what was probably the, the probably the finest um, um, work that the band did itself um, totally. You know, um, I, I believe that um, Zig and Leo kind of saw that record all the way to the end, all the way to the, you know, to the mastering, you know. Mm -hmm. So that would probably be considered, I would think that was the, that was the, good, the really good one. Okay, cool. You know, I, I find it real hard to choose between, uh, between those records. Yeah, yeah. I like them all. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So you are still uh, making music. You have your own uh, long-term project, The Running Partners, right? Um, can you tell us something yes, about this? Correct. This th can you tell us about this music project? What kind of music do you do? Uh, how did all this start? Well, <clears throat> the running partners originally started as a trio, and um, probably you know within six or eight months after the trio started, uh, we we added uh, uh, we added uh, um, horn players. And then, then we added a guitar player, you know, and as it went along, you know, probably within two years, it was all the way up to being like a, a four-piece rhythm section with four horns. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, it, you know it, it has evolved and devolved to some point that, um, um, but now the running partners is just a four-piece band. Mm -hmm. But um, whenever I play festivals, um, I usually... Um, bring in the horns because I, I mean, I'll be wanting to play more, you know, some of the songs that was recorded with horns. So, you know, it's, 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 a, it's at this point now today, which is um, almost, I think I was, I want to say almost 30 years that Running Porters has existed. 30 years. Um, almost 30 years, I think. I, Uh, I, I know the keyboard player, the present keyboard player that's in the band now has been in the band for 27 years. Wow. And I believe the guy, the guitar player who left the band, when he left the band, he was, he was like at, he was like at 28 years. And that's been over two, two years, two and a half years now that 
he's been out of the band. So I would think the band has been very close to 30 years. Oh, that's amazing. So you, you are already touring and play, um, playing gigs all over the country? Yeah, continue. We, 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 that band tours more than any of the other bands that um, that I've been performing with for, um, over the last over the last 30 years. That's really cool. And are you still having fun? Is like the same feeling for like 50 years ago? Oh, yeah. Uh, actually, you know, I mean, today the band the band has um, has uh, a, a, the, well, the new drummer now has been in the band for over um, I think I think Terrence has been, Terrence Houston has been in the band now for about 11 years. Yeah, I saw a couple of videos. He seems pretty young, right? Yeah, he's a he's a he's a young youngster, and uh, but he's a wonderful player. Yeah, yeah. He um, has great energy, and uh, and he you know and he and he plays the original music from the like the original band played. He 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 hasn't you know he 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 respects where the music came from. Uh, uh, naturally, he he has um, you know added himself to the band. Or to the music, but he respects where the music came from. So, you know, he's a good player. Um, yeah. And two years ago, almost two years now, Chris Atkins has been the new guitar player. Okay. And, um, and uh, he, I love the energy that he brings, and um, and his playing is so wonderful. Yeah, cool. Um, like I said, Michael Limler, the keyboard, Michael Limler, the keyboard player, has been in the band for. Um, about 27 years and, oh. and I, I, I call him my band leader <laughs> yeah one of the founding members where where can we find your music where can we get your music is it is it available on all platforms like iTunes Spotify and so on for the people that are interested in, in listening to your to yeah, your own project I, I want to say that um, that it's probably available I definitely know it's available at iTunes mm -hmm. um, um, you know I think Louisiana Music Factory Uh, has it online. Um, there's a, a, a another company, Homegrown Music, I believe, also has has a you know has has it uh, online. Um, it's, it's there's not there's not a lot of uh, of of um, how you say physical copies anymore because yeah. I kind of like. Uh, I am in, actually in the process of recording a new record with uh, with both bands because mm -hmm. <clears throat> I also actually, actually um, I have you know like about two years ago I started playing a Monday night gig here at home mm -hmm. um, with two members of the Running Poets band the keyboard player and the drummer um, uh, Michael and Terrence and um, we call that band the Porter Trio mm -hmm. and. Um, It's been uh, it's been playing uh, um, every Monday night at home when we're here, and um, we were we've been recording every one of those shows. We've multi-tracked every one of those shows, and uh, since since the present situation with the with the with the virus, yeah, we've been airing um, on the every every Monday night we air the shows from the Maple Leaf, you know, the pre-recorded sessions. From the Maple Leaf, you know, just to keep people, uh, you know, and let them know that we're still alive and working, you know. Yeah, absolutely. But we're not actually at the Maple Leaf. It's one of the previous recorded shows. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, I just was going to say that I could send you a link to that Monday night um, 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 show that you know you can put up and um. Yes, please. That can, will be. You know, because can listen. Even it's really cool. It happens every Monday night when we're home. You know, we we stream live from the club. You know, so it's good. Oh, that's good. Yeah, absolutely. Send me the link, and I will put it also in the video description, in the podcast description. So I just uh, wanted to talk a little bit about some technical aspects of your music because you are a producer. I know. So uh, first of all, what type of bass guitar do you do you play? What's your uh, main uh, bass guitar? Um, I'm playing. I'm presently playing a, um, um, a Lakeland. Um, a Lakeland um, bass that was custom built for me. Okay, cool. Um, <clears throat> it's uh, basically it was uh, a, 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 a Bob Glob um, bass guitar style that they, Lakeland had built for him, but then they um, they took it custom the neck. Mm 
Nice. So, um, to match up with my my 48 year old P bass. Oh, cool. So um, the neck of the, the basement, the neck on that Lakeland bass, which now is like 14 years old. Wow. Um, the um, neck on that P bass on 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 that Lakeland bass is the same neck that's on my P bass for the most part. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, actually, I think it's older than my P bass now because I played on it for 14 years. <laughs> wow, really? Um, wow. And then um, after Dan Lakeland sold the company, he um, he create he designed a new a new line called D Lakeland, mm-hmm. and um, and he sent me one of those bases. And um, after a little work on it, I I just I did a, did a little work myself. And um, so I, I've been playing that bass. So the, the, the two bases that I'm playing right now is one called a Lakeland a Lakeland. Custom to George Porter Jr. Mm-hmm. and um and uh, uh, D. Lakeland, you know that's um you know that's you know had had some some work done on it down here. Wow, amazing! Uh, I like I like both instruments. Yeah, sounds pretty cool. And what's on your pedal board? Do you use a lot of uh, pedals and effects? Uh, I I use uh, uh <clears throat> on on um on. On small fly dates, I, I tend to use um, just the bass, of what you call plug and fly, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, um, or plug and plug and play. <laughs> yeah. uh, but um, on running parties dates or uh, uh, for the trio dates, uh, uh, I actually the foundation of funk dates, which is that foundation of funk band is um, Zigaboo Modelist of the Meters and myself, mm-hmm. and we've been using uh, other players. But on those, on those, with those three bands, I do use pedals, um, and I, um, and then EBS is the name of the company. And, um, yeah, I, I want to say out of, out of Switzerland, I believe. Um, is it Sweden? Sweden, maybe. I think it's a yeah, it's a Swedish company. No, you might have to research. Yeah, you might have to research, you might have to research that one. Yeah, I think they are um, from Sweden. Yeah. No, that's, that's, that's bad. I don't know. The, I don't know what what the country is that my guys are from. Yeah. You have worked with lots of artists in the studio. Uh, I just wanted to know because there are two artists that I like a lot: Tori Amos and Marianne Faithful. What was it like to be in the studio with those ladies? That experience. Can you tell us something about it? Well, um, which one? Which one you want first? <laughs> uh, Tori, Tori Amos. Let's talk about Tori Amos. Well, uh, I've done I've done three record recordings with Tori, uh-huh. and um, it was um, it was really uh, really very interesting in the the, the, t- the way we recorded it because um, mm-hmm. um, we made myself and the drummer basically came in after the fact, and we um, we overdubbed our parts to to her tracks, um, you know. You know, we would use click tracks mm-hmm. um, uh, to punch, and you know, and we punched in at parts of the song because of, you know, because the way she had, way she had recorded it, um, you know, the tempos were changed, and so we would we would um, have to um, change tempos to, to match how you know how she recorded them. Mm-hmm. Um, we did two records like that with her, and the third record, we, we, the band actually recorded with her. So, um, so yeah, it was it was interesting just just working with her at the work, the way she liked to work. You know, mm-hmm. she, I think she she originally liked um, working, you know, by her by you know by herself and you know when, yeah. when how she felt, you know, which I understand. Mm-hmm. Um, um, you know, just wanting to, you know, just sitting down to the piano and, and play. You know, I mean, I understand that. And um, so you know, we would, but she wanted to, to be with a band, so she, you know, we would bring the band in later after 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 she's done with us. She had to do. Yeah, it was it was pretty cool. Cool. Was it the same, Marianne Faithful? Oh 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 oh. Yes. Yes. Um, that was a that was a pretty um, pretty uh, pretty. I mean, you know, I don't have a lot of memories about that record. I, re- I, re- I kind of remember that the um, you know that she would come in. We, we, she would we would, she just she was a wonderful singer. Yeah. And um and um and you know the the platform for the music that we did. You know um you know 
we, it was kind of straight ahead, you know, it was kind of, we just come in and we kind of just record mm -hmm. and we would probably do, I think we, and I think it was two days or three days we were in the studio with us and we put, we, we, I think we knocked out like 12 songs or something like that. It was pretty, pretty cool. straight ahead session, you know, it was nice. She's a beautiful lady. Uh, I, I, yeah. I enjoyed working with her. Yeah. Yeah. I like her a lot too. Do you have your own home studio? I have a, I have a home studio. Yes, uh, um, I do. I did almost all of my records for the last uh, twelve years here in my house. Yeah. Wow. Cool. And uh, you know, I've taken them to um, you know, I've taken them to be mastered somewhere else, but I, I record them here. You record them all there. I can imagine your home is also full of posters on the walls from your concerts, memories, and stuff. Am I right? Yeah, my my, uh, my my wife my wife kind of kind of put me all over it. <laughs> So my, I had a, my wife had a friend came in town one day and she walked in the house and said, oh my God, this is a museum. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah 50, over 50 years making music, alive playing music, alive making music. I just wanted to know before we end the show, uh, what, what's your philosophy on life as a musician? What does music mean to you? What makes a good musician? What makes a band a great band? What's sort of your, your philosophy on, on, on music? Uh, <clears throat> well, I think it has probably two phases. One um, is the um, is the is the working knowledge of your instrument. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I think the more the more you know about your instrument, the um, the better off you you know you you fare out in the in the industry once you move into being a professional musician, if you want to. Yeah. If you want to be a professional musician, then you should know the, know the instrument. But then, um, but then there's a the part of, of the music that is, um, you know, I guess they make because everybody, you know, today music is so easy to get into. You know, like you said, I mean, you know, most everybody got little studios in their houses, so yeah. they, they release, they be releasing, you know, they're more probably more bands releasing music today than there was when I was a kid. Absolutely. Just because, um, you know, just because they, you know, back when I was a kid, they weren't, you know, you, you couldn't, if you didn't have the right kind of money, you couldn't get into a studio to record because it was so expensive. Exactly. Now today, now today you can basically record in your front room, you we, know, and, and, and put a, and record a, a, a very good sounding piece of music. Yeah, yeah. So at that point, now that that has happened, I think it's important that you um, know about about the music business itself. You know, there's um there's a couple of books out there that you know I always I'm not sure if was if was new about it if, or if those books have been upgraded. But there were a couple of books out um you know 20 years ago or longer called This Business Called Music, mm -hmm. which you know kind of gives you some good um good input on 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 you know on on the business. Um, and as well as the pitfalls of the business, you know, because this is a business, um, and there are people out there that that gets that makes money off of, off of what you do. Yeah. If you don't have if you don't have your business done correctly, you know, I mean, the case patient senators, um, the meters. You know, we we did when we first started working in this industry. We didn't. We didn't have a business. We were just four guys, you know. Yeah. Um, you know, playing. You know, that knew how knew the instrument and knew how to play it. And, and, yeah. and, and you know, and we were we weren't we weren't business conscious at all. And you know, and it took it took almost twenty five years before we can get our music back from you know, uh, um, not even back, but get our music into the hands of of someone who was going to pay us. Yeah. You know, that was that was an ordeal. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, and, and a lot of a lot of the you know, a lot of bands from the '60s were, um, had that. I mean, probably earlier than that too. It wasn't just you know funk bands as a, that was good. I mean, they got they got country artists that I mean that signed those kind of crazy contracts, man, for life. You know. Yeah. Um, you know, so you know this the the the, the business is is definitely a business. It's not it's not. I won't say it's um an unfair business, but it's just a seedy business, and you know. If you're going to be in it, learn it. You know, find out, find out what to do. Everything you can do to protect yourself yeah. and your music. You know, learn about copyrights. You know, 
learn about publishing. You know, so you, so that, you know, you learn publishing, you learn copyrights, you know, and and, and you protect your music. Yeah, absolutely. You know, that would that would be the second thing that you should do after you after you decided you want to be a musician for a living and play music for a living. You know, uh, um, when you, once you start going out there on the road and start traveling and everything, you know, you know, you know, you have the, you have pitfalls that happen with nightclubs that you know that you know you know need to. Um, you know, you need to know how how your thing, you know, how that's work, how that business works, you know, because that's a business, that's a working business as well, you know. And everybody, everybody's out to protect themselves. So you, you as a musician working in a nightclub, need to know how to protect you in that business, you know. Yeah, certainly, you're totally right. I totally agree with you. And I think what the meters have achieved during your whole. Uh, musical career is amazing uh, you kind of never became a, a mainstream band but you have definitely a cult following around the world why do you think the meters have this such uh, strong fans a cult following worldwide I don't know how that I don't I don't know I mean I, I think it only could be is because that there was some good music there yeah. uh, and, and you know and, and that um I that's so I can't really come up with a real reason for why why it never got mainstream. I think it, it wasn't mainstream. Or maybe it wasn't mainstream because it, it wasn't it wasn't that um you know the, the, it wasn't the music like everybody else was doing that was yeah. straight ahead. You know, I mean, we played syncopated music, and you know syncopated music isn't all that easy to dance to. I guess. Yeah, yeah. I mean. <laughs> It had, you know, it, it pulled on a flow disco feel, you know, um, that definitely uh, was not what we was doing, you know. <laughs> definitely. Uh, last question, George. Um, how can we funkify our world to make it a better place? What do you think? What can we do as humans, especially yet uh, now uh, with with the coronavirus? How can we make our world, uh, our world read, a better? Read, I read that. I read that question last night, and I was yeah. I was thinking about it. And I, I'm not sure if <clears throat> if funkifying um, you know our lives would would be the answer because I I, I do believe that you know every Everyone has to has to pick a place, a space, a spot, for, a place for them to grow and 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 like um, I think being you know being conscious of your neighbors and and and, and be aware of as well as yours, um, you know, it's very important. But um, you know, I believe that with this with this process that's going on right now with this virus, yeah, um, it's it's more it's more important today that um. That um, that we be very you know very um, visual about uh, about um, what's going on around you you know yeah um, you know I don't I don't know if you heard it but we we lost one of New Orleans uh, of senior citizens in the music industry uh of uh, father of a lot of New Orleans music Mr. Ellis Marcellus was you know he was like he's a, just a cousin of mine but. You know, he, he he was like you know he was a part of that founding fabric of a of, and and teacher mm -hmm. uh, of, of 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 the music of New Orleans and um you know he, you know he he the, the virus took him out last night you know oh really I didn't know that I'm, re I'm really sorry to hear that yeah uh, I I found out late last night that he had passed away that, um. Yes, you know it was it was a it was a um, it was a blow to our industry. Absolutely. So yeah, I hope we all learn from this. I think it's the the, the best part is that we can do better things from now on. Uh, George Potter Jr., uh, bass player of the Meters. Uh, thank you so much for your time. It was so much fun. Uh, I learned a lot. It was so nice to hear your words. Thank you for your music, for your time, for your words. I had a few technical problems yesterday, but uh, now we've got it. We we, we, we got it done uh, with this podcast. Thank you so much uh, for your time, uh, George. Thank you. Have a wonderful day, Ivan, and um, to all your, um, your listeners. And, um, be happy out there and stay safe. Yeah, absolutely. This podcast will be available in about three weeks on all platforms, uh, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Teacher. So I will let you know when it's online uh, so you can uh, 
hear it and share it if you if you like with your, your friends and family thank you, so thank you george post, yeah yeah it's gonna be cool thank you george have a, a great day uh, there and stay safe stay inside all right ladies and gentlemen let's call it a day uh with a with a song another track from george potter jr i hope you enjoyed the show um the next song the last song the final song of the show is from his solo uh album it's time to funk uh, recorded and self-released in 1997 this song is called talking about my old friends thank you so much for tuning in bye peace <laughs> Talking about
I'll see them once again. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 